I'd like you to stand with me, and let me read part of the Christmas story. I'm calling this tonight the unopened gift. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. About this time, Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, decreed that a census, an official count, or survey of a population should be taken throughout the nation. Everyone was required to return to his ancestral home for this registration. And because Joseph was a member of the royal line, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, King David's ancient home, journeying there from the Galilean village of Nazareth. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was obviously pregnant by this time, and while they were there, <clears throat> the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him in a blanket, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the village inn. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing on the word tonight. And thank you, Lord, for Jesus being born among us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor as you're being seated and say, thank God for Jesus. Now, I want you to just notice that um, we tend to think that politics and God are completely separated because surely God doesn't move in politics, but the sovereignty of God was totally in operation when Joseph and Mary were forced to go to Bethlehem when she was nine months pregnant. It looked like just a normal event. Well, you need to go get surveyed and, uh, you know, because of the taxation. Had to do with taxes. There's nothing new under the sun. But God was moving through the whole thing to fulfill Bible prophecy and make way for his son to be born. This was God in action when nobody could see it. The prophet Micah had prophesied seven centuries before this happened, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Amazing prophecy. Listen to this. Micah, prophet, 700 years before. O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are but a small Judean village, yet you will be the birthplace of my king, who is alive from everlasting ages past. So God decreed seven centuries before the fact that his son would be born in a little out-of-the-way town called Bethlehem. He used a simple census to bring Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem. 80-mile journey, just days before Christ was born. Can you imagine being Mary, nine months pregnant, on either a camel or some other beast of burden, nine months pregnant, 80 miles? All you ladies need to say, Lord, help me right? But because of the overcrowding of the city due to the census, there wasn't any room for them in the end. They got to the uh, hotel in Bethlehem and there was no room for them in the end. No room. But since God was guiding all of these events, it's no mistake in my mind, clearly in scripture, that Mary and Joseph found no room for them in their hour of greatest need because this would be the story of Jesus all the way from his birth to his return to the earth, which hasn't happened yet, that there would be no room for him. Now, I just want that to stand out to us tonight. Jesus was born in the backyard of this hotel 
surrounded by stinky animals. He was placed into a feeding trough. That's what the manger was. He was placed in a feeding trough because there was no room for him or them in the end. There was no vacancy. So they had to go out back. And to me, this is sort of, it typifies the story of Jesus from that moment to now. That there's no room. See, the, the world he was born into did not receive him. Started out with his birth and it moved from there. There was no room for him in the hearts and the lives of most people. John wrote, he came unto his own, the Jewish people, and they didn't receive him. There was no room. Isaiah the prophet saw exactly how he'd be treated. And he wrote, we despised him and rejected him. A man of sorrows acquainted with bitterest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way when he went by. He was despised and we didn't care. That's talking about Jesus. John wrote, even in his own land and among his own people, the Jews, he was not accepted. Only a few would welcome and receive him. And it's the same today. How few in our world make room for Jesus. Right now there's parties going on everywhere. All kinds of drinking and partying and carrying on and eating and family coming in from all over the country and meeting together but i wonder how many of them have at the center the reason for the season it's really become just a reason for us to get off work for a couple of days and party hardy same today we have incrementally edged jesus out of just about everything can you imagine having a birthday party and you don't recognize the person whose party it's for There's no room for him in the schools. Supreme Court outlawed school prayer in 1962. They outlawed Bible reading in schools in 1963. And I want you to look at our schools now. There's no room for him in school sporting events. If a coach dares uh, to lead his team in a prayer, he's swiftly attacked by organizations like the ACLU, and they do everything they can to shut him and others like him down. Because there's no room for Jesus anymore in American life. There's no room for him in government. Do you know that in several states right now, in America, it's now illegal, illegal to pray in Jesus' name before a city council meeting? You can pray to God, but not Jesus. It's illegal. His name's been outlawed in some states. And to invoke the name of Jesus in any officially sanctioned government gathering is frowned upon. Keep it diverse, we're told. Keep it diverse. No room for Jesus. There was no room for him in the hotel. There's no room for him among his own people. And there's no room for him in a lot of hearts and lives and countries and towns and cities today. Department stores will wish you a happy holidays these days, but not a Merry Christmas. They might be fired if they say Merry Christmas to you because, again, we must be diverse. One comedian recently said on a late-night show that she was reported to Human Resources last year for saying Merry Christmas to an intern. We talk about Santa, reindeers, throw parties, feast on turkey, go looking at Christmas lights, visit family, but the reason for the season is discreetly swept under the rug and marginalized. Jesus is hush-hush. 
Be diverse. Be multicultural. But don't be exclusive. Don't talk about him. Many, including Christians, find no room for Jesus in the midst of a busy life. Busyness crowds him out of our lives. Just as he warned in his parable of the sower, where he said in the parable of the sower, the cares of this life and the longing for material things choke out God's word and choke out Jesus, and he does less and less for God because busyness crowds in. I've got room for everything, but I don't have room for Jesus. Recent surveys have found that whereas people used to go to church every Sunday without question, you just went to church on Sunday, now they attend once or twice a month, if at all. The reason? I'm just too busy. Just too busy. No room for Jesus, even among those who claim his name. Now I want you to think for a moment with me as I come to the close. What the Bethlehem Hotel lost by not making room for Jesus, because what they lost, we lose by not making room. The incarnate God, God in human form, God come to earth, God wrapping himself in human flesh. He would have been born in that hotel, so they missed a miracle birth. Second, the fame of that place would have gone far and wide. Not to talk business, but let me talk business. If Messiah had been born in that hotel, it would have hugely increased business in days to come. Third, that very morning, they would have experienced the visit of shepherds in search of the new baby due to an angelic visitation telling them of him. They would have gone to the hotel, not to the backyard. And rather than a manger, the angels would have directed the shepherds to the Bethlehem Inn instead. That's where they would have directed him. All of heaven would have been focused on that hotel. What an honor. And certainly God would have richly blessed the place, would have richly blessed the place, but made room for him. But no one discerned what God was doing. No one cared much that Mary and Joseph were forced out back with the dirty cattle to give birth without a doctor or a midwife to help. And folks, if it's true for them, it's true for us today as well. When we don't make room for Jesus, guess what? We miss a miracle birth. You want to see a miracle? Make room for Jesus in your heart. You'll see a miracle. The Bible says when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside, and he is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. When we find room for Jesus, we miss out on so many, uh, we, we get so many blessings. When we don't make room for him, we miss out on blessings that God gives to those who invite him in. See how very much our Heavenly Father loves us, for He allows us to be called His children. Think of it, we really are when we make room for Jesus in the end of our heart. Amen? God has given the world the greatest gift ever given, and most people don't accept it, they never unwrap it, they never see what's really in the person of Jesus. Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Somewhere back there, a guy named Jesus walked around. But what about right now, making room for him, not only tonight in your heart, but what about for life? Make room for Jesus. So I've got a challenge. In the coming new year, let's resolve to make room for Jesus each and every day. 
by prioritizing him into our schedule, into our lives, in our heart. Because I promise you, if you make room for Jesus, God will make room for you. God will bless you, lead you, guide you, help you, strengthen you. Send his peace into your heart. Amen? And so when you make room for Jesus, Jesus said about himself, he said, I'm the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. But now watch this. Then he turned around and said, since I'm the light of the world, so are you. Because Jesus, who was lit with the light of heaven, lights you when you come to him. So I want you to stand up and grab your, your candle. And what we're going to do, we're going to kill the lights in just a minute. And we're going to turn these candles on. And I want you to get a vision of what the church is supposed to be. Jesus said, you, my people, are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Can you say that with me? I'm the light of the world. Now, the reason you and I are the light of the world is because we got the light in us. We're not the light in and of ourselves, but we've been lit by the light. We've been lit by the light. So as you turn on that candle and hold it up, let's turn the lights off. And I want you to see what I see. I want you to look around at this beautiful picture of all these lights. And what you're seeing is a picture of the church. You're seeing a picture of what the church is supposed to look like. Light shining into the dark. So now we're going to sing one of my favorite Christmas carols. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Let's sing it together. And please see yourself. This is you in the coming year and for the rest of your life. You've been lit by the light. So let's sing it.
Amen. I want to, amen. You can't give the Lord a hand of praise. I, I understand that. Yeah. Now, while we're holding these lights, let me just quickly relay something to you. You know, sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. And I was thinking, how do you best explain life before Jesus and life after? I read about the Holocaust survivors. When they were released from their terrible prisons, the ones that were rescued, when the Allies won the war, and they were able to say, walk out of Auschwitz, when they were taken back into civilization, they began to weep and cry. And they were asked, we understand why you'd be weeping and crying, but it seems like there's more to this. Why are you crying so hard? Give us some reason." And they said, the color. We haven't seen color in years. Because all of the prisons were a dingy gray. There were no blues, no reds, no yellows, no greens. Just dull, dingy, depressing gray. And now all of a sudden, we're being flooded with color. It's like that when you come to Jesus. Before coming to Jesus, you don't know it, but everything is a dingy gray. But when you come to him, you see what he intended for us to see. You see him. You experience God's love, God's peace, God's grace. This is why Jesus was born that first Christmas morn, so we could see color. Amen? Amen? The color of his love. Amen? Amen? And I'm so glad, I'm so glad for all of you here tonight. And I wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas and a very Jesus-centered Christmas. And if you've never made room for him in your life, can I encourage you to do so? Just ask him. Go to him. And say, Jesus, I've been away from you, but I want to come back. Or, I've never known you. Please forgive me of my sin. And I place my faith in you as my Savior and Lord. And you will find that he will bless you. And he will come into your heart as your Savior and Lord. And you will see his... Everything will look prettier. Everything will look better when you've been made right with God through his Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into the world that first Christmas morn... 2,000 years ago, we thank you, we bless you, we honor you, we magnify you, in Jesus' name, amen. Turn on the lights, everybody. You can take, turn the candles off, and let's sing as we go, amen. Have a blessed, blessed Christmas Eve and Christmas Day.